Thanks for listening to the Highlands Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. Tonight, though, we are going to be talking about the power of our experiences, the power of our experiences, both in our past and in our present. And I want to ask you tonight, in the audience out there, if there's any dog lovers here. Is anybody a dog lover? Like, yep, awesome, awesome. Oh, yeah, everyone. Okay, obviously everyone in Toowoomba has dogs. In Cairns, we only have dogs for security. Um, (laughs) No, we love dogs too but mostly for security. Um, Kansas is a beautiful place. You should come and visit. It is a wonderful place. Come on a holiday. Um, Yeah, I've really really talked it down, but it's beautiful. It's lovely. Security is a problem. Um, (laughs) You've probably seen on the news. Uh, So I really, 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 really want a miniature dash hound. And... I have wanted a miniature dash hound for about 10 years. I've also been married for 10 years. And so you can see who's getting in the way of me getting my miniature dash hound, right? It's my husband. And he seems to think that while we're in the craziness of raising small kids and building a business from the ground up and, you know, managing the pressures of growing church, he seems to think that we're pretty full in our capacity. But I seem to think that there's room in my heart for a miniature dash hound or two, or three. Um, I would take three. And um, I absolutely love them. And you know, because my husband's not on board with getting a dog, he thinks it's too much work, too much money, all that kind of stuff, he's been trying to sort of convince me of other animals. But we all know other animals just don't, don't compare, right, to a dog. And uh, the first being, of course, the next in line when you can't get a dog is you normally will go for the humble cat. But the thing that you need to know about me is I am not, and I repeat, not a cat lover. I severely, amen, I severely dislike cats. Now, I'm sorry if you're a cat lover, and I'll explain to you why I'm not a cat lover, um, because I literally have a nervous physical reaction whenever I encounter a cat. I feel like the fear and the, tr- the trembling of the anxiety pops up for me whenever I see a cat, and a black and white cat at that. And I trace it back to my early childhood when I was about 10 years old, and I had my first interaction with a cat named Cuddles. Now, this is a picture of what Cuddles looked like. Yes. This is what, oh, oh yes, no. You're all like, oh, Cuddles. Oh, you're about to hear a story about Cuddles. He was um, actually probably three times as big as this cat. I couldn't find a cat on the internet that looked like him. He was, I think, morbidly obese, and he had so much fur and hair, it made him look even double his size. And um, he was black and white fur, just like this. Now, Cuddles belonged to my best friend at the time, and she was an only child. And so she considered her cats, Cuddles, who was her first cat, to be like her siblings. She literally referred to Cuddles as her sister. Um, 
And cuddles, she did everything with cuddles, everything, everything you can imagine. She would put the cat on her shoulders and go for bike rides. Um, she would, you know, be brushing the cat and brushing her hair. She would be dressing up the cat in baby clothes and like nursing and pushing it around in a toy pram. Like she did everything with this cat. But perhaps the most extreme thing she ever did with cuddles was when she was about five or six years old and she took cuddles swimming. Now, if you know anything about cats, it's that they do not swim and they do not like swimming. So you can imagine how a game of mermaids and a five-year-old and a cat named Cuddles ended up. It wasn't long before my friend's mum came down to check on them in the pool and there she saw lying in the middle of the pool unresponsive was a big blob of furry black and white cat. My, mom ran, uh, my, my friend's mum ran down the stairs and she jumps in the pool and she grabs this cat out and she puts the cat on the ground and because Cuddles was part of the family, was a sibling, she did what any responsible mum or, or fur baby mum would do. She started performing CPR on this cat. And so she's pumping this cat, doing CPR, and then she starts giving the cat mouth to mouth and literally, yeah, no joke, this is a true story. She starts giving the cat mouth to mouth, breathing in the air, and um, it wasn't looking good for a while there. It looked like the cuddles, the cat had gone to cat heaven, but by some miracle, cuddles suddenly begins to cough up all of this water and he, he, she springs to life and she begins bolting around the whole yard and that day, Cuddles came back to live her second life. I guess she gets nine lives or something they say, right? Now, Cuddles went on to live a very long and happy-ish life after that. But you see, after this experience, Cuddles was not very cuddly anymore. In fact, I have the suspicion that Cuddles formed a belief from this experience that all humans are highly incompetent individuals. <laughs> and irresponsible and should be avoided at all costs. So Cuddles became a cat that hated people and loathed is even a more appropriate word. But of course, when I first met Cuddles, I didn't know about Cuddles' traumatic past and his, I think it was his or her, hatred of humans. I just thought that a cat named Cuddles, well, must be Cuddly, right? Do you name a cat named Cuddles and it not be cuddly? So on one of my first play dates with my best friend, I went over there and I was so excited to see this cat, my, one of my first encounters with a beautiful cat. And I went over to it and I, I got right in Cuddles' face. And I was like, oh, Cuddles, aren't you just a beautiful boy? You are just so gorgeous, look at you. I just can't wait to cuddle you, you are so good. And then I got my head affectionately, like you do with cats or instinctively, I thought so, is I started rubbing my head up against his head trying to like have a little affectionate moment with Cuddles. Now before I know it, good old Cuddles has got me in a WWE Smackdown. <laughs> he lifts up his giant paw, he puts it on my head and he smacks my head into the ground. And then not only that, he bites me on the head. Like seriously, what cat does that? And I quickly realized that Cuddles was not very cuddly that that name was a big facade. 
and I, I realized that I was the recent casualty of a very long line of humans in which Cuddles turned his hatred towards. And from that moment onwards, I had my own experience that formed a core belief, and that was all cats are evil. <laughs> all cats hate humans and should be avoided at any cost. And see, that's the thing about our experiences, is that they don't occur in isolation. When we experience something in life, we will almost certainly give meaning to it. And when we give meaning to something, we usually summarize it as a belief. For example, if I grow up in a volatile home environment or a country, when I, um, then I might develop a core belief that the world is unpredictable or an unsafe place. If I grow up being bullied at school, then I might develop a core belief that I am unlikable. If I grow up, grow up with super hypercritical parents, then I might develop a core belief that I'm not good enough no matter what I do. Our experiences help shape our beliefs and our beliefs help for, inform how we should think, how we should feel and how we should behave. But the problem with that is that oftentimes when we've gone through difficult experiences, the beliefs that we have formed about ourselves and about others and about the world around us, they're often not very logical or very reasonable. So what happens when we what we believe is not necessarily logical or reasonable, but we can't seem to shake that deeply held belief. For instance, I know logically that not all cats are evil. I get it, people love cats, right? And I get that not all cats hate humans. And I know that not all cats are gonna hurt me. I know that logically. But when I see a cat, I just can't seem to shake the feeling that all cats are evil and are gonna hurt me. And as a consequence, whenever I see a cat, I think bad thoughts, I'll admit it. I feel intense amounts of anxiety and I have the urge to back off. And that's because my brain and your brain will always trust experience over logic. Our experiences inform more of our belief than logic or facts. Now that's not to say we forsake logic or facts or that logic and facts can't influence our belief. But our brain will trust our experiences over what we know to be true only in theory. Now this might not seem like much of a big deal when it comes to the belief about cats. But what about when it becomes about your beliefs about yourself? And what about when it becomes about your beliefs about God? What do you do when logically or even biblically, you know something to be true, but it just doesn't feel to be true? What do you do when you know logically you are good enough, but you just don't feel good enough? What do you do when you know logically you are lovable or you are likable, but you just don't feel that way? when you know you are loved and worthy to God, but you don't feel that way. When you know in theory that God has great things destined for you, but you really struggle to believe that you could ever amount to anything in the kingdom of God. And I call this a disconnection between your head and your heart. A disconnection between what you know to be true and what you feel to be true. 
And this is the biggest single struggle that I see in the clinic room. It causes huge amounts of distress for people. And in psychological terms, we call this cognitive dissonance. It's cognitive incongruency. And what it causes us is a great amount of psychological distress. So how do we then get our heart knowledge and our head knowledge to line up? How do we get what we feel to be true at our innermost being to line up with what we know to be true? And to answer that tonight, I wanna to take a look at the life of Gideon because he's a man who went through some pretty crazy life experiences and as a result, he held some pretty poor beliefs about himself. And he struggled momentarily to line up with what God was saying about him. And tonight, through this message, I wanna teach you how to do some deep work with the Holy Spirit on, this, on, this, on the deep inner beliefs using psychological strategies that we apply in the clinic room. What I'm basically doing is going to um, apply some effective therapy techniques in a self-help context with the Holy Spirit as your counselor. Now, a quick disclaimer, this is not therapy and it shouldn't be considered therapy. It, it, all it is is applying therapeutic techniques in a self-help way with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I just have to make that clear. So let's get into it. Now, give you some context. Gideon was an Israelite who was living in the time when the Midianites were oppressing them as a nation. Whenever the Israelites would plant crops, they, the, the Midianites would come and destroy it. And as a consequence, they would kill all their livestock and they would leave them with nothing. And they left the Israelites starving and impoverished. They were really oppressing them. So to survive, the Israelites basically began hiding in mountain clefts and caves. And they, went, they basically went underground to try and survive, just so they could produce something to eat. And consequently, Gideon finds himself in a wine press, threshing wheat, so that he could, he could hide whatever grain he was producing from being confiscated by the Midianites. And then an angel of the Lord shows up in Gideon's wine press. And let's pick up the story from verse 11 in Judges 6. It says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abbey Ezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midianite. And here's the first thing that I want you to take away and then we're gonna unpack it a little bit more, is the first thing we need to do in order to get the, our heart and our head to line up is number one, we need to identify the origins of our belief. Identify the origins of our belief. Now the scriptures here revealed that Gideon had a hard time coming on board with the angel of the Lord telling him that God was, was with him and calling him a mighty warrior. I mean, he kind of responds kind of sarcastically, right? When I'm reading this, I'm like, pardon me? Like, are you serious? Have you, mighty warrior? What are you talking about? 
And Gideon might have maybe been receiving it as head knowledge, but he definitely was not coming on board with it as heart knowledge. He definitely couldn't, couldn't feel that what that angel was saying was anywhere near the truth. For Gideon, he had a sense of feeling abandoned by God. And he also felt hugely insignificant, small and defeated. And that's understandable given the circumstances that he was in. The origins of those beliefs that he had formed came from his experience of oppression and poverty and hardship. And tonight, your feelings and beliefs about yourself and or about God likely have their origins in an experience somewhere in your past. Somewhere in your experiences that you've had in your life, you have learned that you are not good enough or not lovable or not worthy or not capable or that God is not with you or that God is unhappy with you, et cetera, et cetera. And if there is a part of you that believes that tonight, there is a point in your life where that belief began. And it would serve you well, my friend, to try and identify when that point was. And the reason for that is, is because it's like finding the root of the pain. When you identify this place, you can do something with it, with God. Otherwise, what we end up doing is just treating the symptoms all the time or dealing with the symptoms with the Holy Spirit. You have to get to the core. And so ask yourself, when was the first time you experienced the feeling of not being good enough, of not being worthy, of not being loved, or whatever it is that you believe about yourself? When did you first, first experience that feeling? Every belief will have its origins. You know, with his permission tonight, I'm gonna to share a story about my husband. And my husband is a pastor who has a master's degree in theology. He is a highly intelligent man. He knows um, a lot about the Bible. He's studied a lot about the Bible. And he knows logically that God, the Holy Spirit dwells within him and moves through him in power. He knows that logically. He's even seen the evidence of that as he's prayed for people and as he preaches on Sunday, the Holy Spirit pouring out. But one thing that my husband, Luke, has always struggled with is, uh, is feeling good enough or feeling like God actually does dwell in him. He's always struggled to line up his theological understanding with how he actually feels. And we trace this back, or he's traced this back um, to its origins, and he realised that there was a pivotal moment when he was only 10 years old when he first attended a Pentecostal church meeting with his family. And um, in this meeting, people were falling over under the power of the Holy Spirit and his parents, who were kind of semi-new to the faith, they were kind of figuring all this out, they went along with another family member to a Pentecostal meeting. And uh, he can remember hearing his parents talk, whisper to his uncle, hey, uncle, what's going on here? Like, we've been to church, but I've never seen this before. And his, and his uncle turned to him and, and, or turned to his parents and Luke overheard this saying, people fall over when the Holy Spirit rests upon them. So not long after this, so Luke went, okay, noted, yep, that's what happens. So not long after this, Luke and his parents went up the front to receive prayer and the person who was praying is praying over all these people, powerful prayers, and they're going under, under the power of the Holy Spirit and they're falling over and whatever. And then they finally get up to praying for the parents and for Luke and this man prays for Luke. 
and he prays this powerful prayer upon Luke and, and lays hands on him and all of that. And the thing is, is that for Luke, nothing happened. For Luke, he didn't have a supernatural encounter in that moment. For Luke, he didn't fall over and he didn't have the experience that he thought. And in that moment, he concluded about himself, well, I guess the Holy Spirit just doesn't wanna dwell upon me. I guess I'm just not good enough. Or there's something wrong with me that the Holy Spirit doesn't wanna dwell in me. And he carried this belief with him up until recently, recently, when he's been starting to do some deep origin work with a, with a psychologist and with um, the Holy Spirit. For 10 years, he's been doing ministry, relying only on his head knowledge that God moves through him, but constantly fighting the internal belief that God was not interested in dwelling in him. It's a lonely place to be. But there's great understanding that can come from exploring your origins of your beliefs. And once you understand them, you can do something with them and you can get on the journey of correcting them. It has brought such freedom to Luke journeying through this. Let's pick up the story with Gideon. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midianites' hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. The second point that I want you to take away about how you change this disconnection between head and heart is that once you identify the origins of your belief, number two, you allow the Holy Spirit to speak into that experience. See, once we've identified the origins, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak so that we can help see it accurately. Gideon was convinced that he and his people were abandoned by God. But here the angel of the Lord speaks to him in this experience and he suggests to him that despite what it looks like, despite where Israel has found itself, despite what, what the external interior looks like, I have not abandoned you, but I am in fact with you right now and I have a great plan for your life and a great plan for this nation. The angel of the Lord challenged Gideon's view on it. And sometimes when we experience things, the belief we form are inaccurate. And we need someone to come in and help us see it accurately, to help us reframe it. A great example of the Holy Spirit doing this in my own life was just after my daughter was born. Now, I like to think I do a lot of my life with God and with the Holy Spirit and pregnancy was no different to that. I was so excited to have my first baby and, um, you know, God, I just believe that the, the birthing experience is gonna be amazing and you're gonna be with me in every moment and this is just gonna be a blessed birth and a blessed pregnancy and all of that. But um, to my um, shock, my birth didn't go in the way that I had hoped it would go in and it ended up being quite a traumatic experience for me. And I ended up in the, in the operating theatre, emergency caesarean, and it was just an all-around horrible experience. Maybe some of you can relate to that in the audience tonight. And I was really struggling with my understanding of where God was in the midst of all that. 
I was like, God, I thought if I seek first the kingdom, like Pastor Doug said, that all other things would be out of me. I thought the blessing would be upon me here. Where were you in all this? I was kind of a bit ticked at him. I was kind of a bit like, you abandoned me, a bit like Gideon, where were you? And um, I struggled with this and I probably was a bit distant with God in the, in the months following. And one day I decided that I was going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into this experience. And I came to God in prayer and I remember, um, I remember closing my eyes and, and picturing the moment where I felt the most vulnerable where I felt that where that belief was created, God abandoned me. And I closed my eyes and it was when I was in the operating theatre and I was being operated on to have my baby. And I remember just closing my eyes and I asked the Holy Spirit and I said, Holy Spirit, show me where you were in all of that. Show me where you were because I can't see you anywhere. And then suddenly I saw a picture of the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus standing there in the operating room. And he didn't seem stressed, you know, as Jesus is, you know, never stressed. He's kind of just like the disciples in the boat. I can see why that would have ticked them off. Um, and, you know, and they're kind of just like, he's standing there with his arms folded and he's kind of smiling and he's looking at me sort of having this, this operation. And I just got the sense that he was watching over me and everything that the surgeons were doing and just making sure it was a safe and smooth delivery for me and my daughter. And in that moment, I realized when I thought God had abandoned me, he was actually right there the whole time. And he wasn't stressed about it. He knew the outcome was gonna be good and his hand was upon me that whole time. And it radically changed the way that I was interacting and approaching with God. No longer was I feeling abandoned, but I felt so safe and secure in that moment. It was an amazing experience with him. And there's great power in allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into an experience where your belief began. But you need to go back there first. And a great way to do that is through imagery. God has given us this amazing power of imagination so that when we close our eyes, we can almost be back in an experience that we've had before. But then welcoming the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to show you where He was or show you what He thinks of you or allowing the Holy Spirit to correct an incorrect belief that you have formed there. So let's continue with our Gideon story. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, And from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flamed, flared from the rock, consumed the meat and bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared." The third step that we need to do when we're correcting our heart and our head knowledge is first step is we need to identify the origins of our belief. The second step is we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into the belief. The third step is we need to collect evidence for the new belief. Collect evidence for the new belief. Now Gideon was still struggling to come on board with what the angel of the Lord was sharing with him. 
even after he could understand where, where he formed it, the Holy Spirit spoke into or Holy Spirit, the angel of the Lord spoke into it, but he was still seeking out a sign. He sought out the evidence that would confirm that the angel of the Lord was sharing with him, that God truly was with him and had a great plan for him. And see, seeking out evidence for the new belief is a vital step because our brain has what we call a cognitive bias. Meaning that when we have a deeply held core belief, such as I'm not good enough, for instance, our brain will search for evidence, big or small, that will support that core belief. It won't search for evidence to challenge it. And so after we go back to that origin and God corrects our old belief around that experience, the next step then is that we need to cement that new experience in, heart, in evidence. And we do that um, by, uh, and for Gideon, sorry, he was searching for a sign that God had not abandoned him and was still with him. But for you, it might be searching for evidence that you are lovable, that you are worthy, that you are competent, that you are good enough. And what, what you could do with this is you could get your friends or your spouse to help you if this is a difficult task. Because often they can see things that we can't. We're terrible at seeing the evidence, right? Because our brain has a cognitive bias. It doesn't see it. It doesn't want to see it. And so when we ask the people around us that we trust, help me to see the places in my life where I'm capable. Help me to see the places in my life where I'm good enough. Help me to see the places in my life where I'm lovable. But not only that, it's when we search the Scriptures and we find evidence in what God says with, for us and we allow that to soak into our mind and allow us to confirm what we feel the Holy Spirit is saying to us and speaking into us. When we get that evidence, write it down, refer to it often and let it assist you. And I'll invite the keys to come. Verse 22, it says, When Gideon realised that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abbey Ezrite. Um, so after we, after we find the origins of our core belief, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into that core belief. We seek out the evidence to confirm that new belief. The fourth thing that I think is really important in this um, whole uh, re-jigging uh, or trying to get our heart and our head to line up is we need to seek out a supernatural encounter. You see, it wasn't until Gideon had a revelation that this was indeed the Lord that it all fell into place for him. And it's interesting that Gideon builds an altar and calls it the Lord is peace. It almost gives us an insight into the aspects or the characteristics or the side of God that he was really revealed to him. He encountered the Lord of peace. At the very beginning of this chapter in Judges 6, a prophet visits the people of Israel and explains to them that God has left them because of their rebellion towards God. Now Gideon's understanding of God was that God was angry with him and with his people and that God had rejected them because of their mistake in pursuing a pagan God. Gideon's perspective of God was that he was not pursuing peace with them. There was no evidence of a God that was pursuing peace with Gideon. 
And he certainly could not see that God was trying to help their nation to have peace from the Midianites. In his eyes, I can't imagine a God of peace was the first way he described God. And you see, that's, you see your experiences will not just shape the way you see yourself, but they will also shape the way you see God. And the way you see God will determine how you relate to God and how you relate to His church. If you believe God is punishing, for example, then you might serve Him for sure, but you might avoid an intimacy with Him because you don't wanna get in trouble. If you believe God is neglectful God, you might feel angry towards Him and rebel when He doesn't come through the way you hoped He would. If you believe God is unreliable, then you might have a strong sense to do things independently and struggle to rely on God for any of your needs. You see, your experiences can shape not only the way you see yourself, but the way that you see God. And so if it's old experiences that have helped us shape our beliefs about our, our, ourselves and others in the world around us and God, then it is new experiences that we must pursue. To know ju not just on a heart level, oh, sorry, a head level, but on a heart level. You see, for Gideon, it was one thing to understand that God is a God of peace, but it's another thing to encounter that God of peace. This was Elijah's experience. He had all the evidence presented to him that God was extending an arm towards him. An angel of the Lord declaring, you're a mighty warrior, I'm sending you, I'm with you, I'm speaking into, that, into who you are. But he truly could not believe it. He truly could not allow it to be heart knowledge until he had an encounter with God where his eyes were open and he realised, whoa, this is God saying this. That is crazy. And if we're serious about seeing ourselves and God correctly, then we must be open to pursuing supernatural experiences. And this is in fact fundamental to our right understanding of God. And I believe it's an important part of why God sent the Holy Spirit and why Jesus died on a cross so that we could have the Holy Spirit. Because it's one thing to know God and know what He thinks about you and know His purposes and know His goodness in theory, and it's another thing to fully encounter it. And I believe tonight that maybe there are some people here and you've been trying to understand God only with your head. But I can tell you, friend, that you can only fully understand God by experiencing Him. It's how our brain, remember, understands and trusts anything, is through experience. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian family my faith was not something that was a part of my life until I was in my late teens. And when I was 14 years old, we moved from, the sun, uh, from Brisbane to the Sunshine Coast. And it wasn't long after we moved there that my mum's mental health took a big decline. And it was um, at age 15, she, would, she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which is basically where you believe things are happening that are not really true and you, you have a very distorted real, view of reality and you become very suspicious of everything around you. And for me, I was part of my mum's paranoia. And she believed that I was part of the delusions that she, she was having. 
And often people like this, they don't notice or have insight into how sick they really are. And so often mental health care workers uh, have to intervene or hospitalise the patient against their will. My mum was eventually part of this process and she was medicated and her symptoms became a little less and the active symptoms at least. And she began to cope though with the ongoing poor mental state with drinking alcohol. And she soon became very dependent on it and, um, and an alcohol, alcoholic to numb out and to avoid the difficult feelings she was having. So you can imagine that my teenage years growing up were very painful and it was very lonely and it sucked, quite frankly. And at 16 years old, I started working at a fish and chip shop. Yay, fish and chip shop first job, right? I started working at a fish and chip shop and there were three girls there that went to a local Christian high school. And all of them just happened to be also followers of Jesus, which is awesome. And they were beautiful girls. They showed me a, a, a lot of love as a young lost teenager. They were a little bit older than me. And they shared with me often how God was interested in my life and how He loved me. But I truly just couldn't believe that. You know, they were telling me and I could, couldn't believe that in my head knowledge. And I was not really interested in following it up either. They invited me to church several times, but I politely declined. That's not for me. I don't do church. God's not for me. Until one weekend, I had a particularly uh, bad weekend in my personal life. And I finally thought to myself, what the heck? I've tried everything else. I might as well give God a go. And so I said to one of my friends, all right, I'll come to church. Let's do this. So she picked me up. She had a license. She was about 17 at the time. She picked me up and she invited me along to a small Baptist church on, on the Sunshine Coast on a Sunday morning. It was filled with a lot of families, not a lot of young people. I was kind of looking around thinking, hmm, okay, am I the youngest person here or her, my, my friend and I? And I sat back and I listened to the message of the pastor and I heard him talk about a God of love and grace and that was all good and well, but it didn't really impact me much. I don't really remember much of the message, to be honest. And then at the end, they did an altar call for salvation and I put my hand up and I wanted to give this thing a go, right? I wanted to give God a go. So I put my hand up and it was good. You know, I was like, great, I'll, you know, I'll give this thing a go. Nothing truly happened that was crazy. And we went through the steps for salvation and all that kind of thing. And then after the service, we're in the foyer and a lady spotted me. And she was a mother, I guess, you know, she spotted me and, and hunted me down and she said, can I pray with you? I saw you put your hand up today. Would you mind if I prayed with you? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was a bit unsure about it, to be honest. But I let this lady pray and my friend came with me. And we just went over to the side of the foyer and she prayed with me in this moment. She held my hands. And I tell you, when she prayed for me, I had a supernatural encounter with God. And I felt the love of God hit me. Ooh. <laughs> Talk about those memories. Um, like a ton of bricks. And the peace, peace like I had never known in my life. It flooded me. And it was the single oh, <laughs> most life-changing moment in my life. And I remember feeling 
almost saturated in this peace for several weeks after. For about three or four weeks, I could just feel this, this peace and this joy and I could not explain it because my head did not yet understand God. I didn't knew nothing about God. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I didn't understand anything about God. I remember going to church and I was singing the songs and there being the word righteousness and I had no idea what that meant. And we're singing like, yeah, you're the God, all right, like whatever, righteousness. And I remember turning to someone next to me and like, hey, what's righteousness mean? I have no idea. But I couldn't get away from the experience and the encounter of a God that loved me and a God that was extending peace to me and a God that was wanting to change my life. And that's the power of experience, friend. And that is why we can't forsake it in the church. We can't come to church and just hear a message and walk away with God, uh, knowledge in our head. Yes, that's good. Yes, we need right theology. Yes, we need um, to understand correctly the things of God. Don't, I'm not discounting that. My husband is all about that, right? Um, you know, he would probably shoot me hearing me say this, but no, he wouldn't. But <laughs> right theology, okay. Um, but you can't forsake the encounter because it's one thing to know God in your head and it's another thing to encounter God with your heart. And if we wanna correct experiences that we've had in our past and beliefs that we have formed from experiences in our past, then we must be open to new experiences in our future. And that is where we come before God and we open up our heart and maybe we do the hard work and we deal with our past and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into it and we collect our evidence, but then we say, Holy Spirit, give me a new experience. Allow me to form a new core belief about myself that only You can bring. Only You can, you can seal this in my heart, I know that. And so I just ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I wanna speak to anyone here firstly, that maybe, you would be here tonight and you've never had an encounter or you've never opened your heart to the God that I'm talking about tonight. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while or maybe you, this is your very first time here tonight, someone invited you. Or maybe you were connected a long time ago and you walked away and you've decided to come back tonight. I wanna give you an opportunity, just like someone did for me when I was 16 years old, to get right standing with God and come back into relationship with Him. And I truly can't convince you with words. I can't convince you with head knowledge, but I can just ask you, would you open your heart and allow Him to come into your life and encounter you and convince you of His realness? Because I truly believe He'll do it. And so if you're here tonight and you know you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't say you're following God. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and I wanna pray with you that just like my journey that began at 16 years old and 19 years later, I am still convinced. I am still following Jesus with everything in me. And I wanna give you that invitation tonight. It would be my privilege to introduce you to the God that is my Lord and Saviour. And so on the count of three, if that's you tonight, I just want you to lift your hand as a sign of faith and a sign of acceptance and make that commitment to Jesus. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand right where you're at. Awesome, awesome, hands going up, awesome. 
Awesome, awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Amazing, 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 amazing. Come on, if that's you, just every eyes closed. This is between you and God. Just keep your hands raised. Heavenly Father, I pray for these people right now. I pray, Father, that tonight they would have an amazing encounter with the living God. I thank You that tonight they're committing their lives as, uh, to You, Father, that You would be their Lord and their Saviour, that You would come into their life and direct their next steps and all the rest of their steps for the rest of their days. Holy Spirit, I pray would You open their ears to hear You and their eyes to see You. Father, I pray that um, as they get to know You more, Father, that You would um, become their ever-present source of comfort and peace and joy and love and all of those things in their life, God. Thank You, Father, for what You've done for them on Your sacrifice on the cross. And I pray, Jesus, in their heart tonight, they are giving their lives to You. Thank You, Jesus, for that. In Jesus' mighty Name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at highlands.au on Facebook or Instagram or head to the highlandschurch.org.au website for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Message Podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.